We're going to go ahead and get started here. Um, Thomas Edison was a, uh, one of the most famous American inventors of all time. And in the late 1800s, he was working on this crazy idea that he called light bulbs. That, uh, you know, whatever happened to that, right? And after months and months of research and development, he and his team got together and uh, they went into the laboratory to create the first prototype of a light bulb. And it took these men 24 straight hours of, of work to produce one light bulb. Now, as these exhausted men who have, who have been up for all this time um, finish their work, Edison takes the light bulb and he turns to one of his young assistants, a teenage boy, and he hands him the light bulb and he says, well, take it upstairs so they can test it. So the young man takes the bulb in his hands and he starts walking so very, very cautiously and he starts up the stairs very, very cautiously and somewhere along the way, he tripped over his own feet, he fell forward, he let go of the the light bulb and it shattered everywhere. Little known fact is that young man went on to play quarterback at Texas A&M University. (laughs) That's for you. That's for all the Aggies in the room. Can you imagine how everybody's heart just sunk in that moment? This wasn't just the 24 hours that it took to build it. It was all the months and months of of research that have built to this moment to, to create this one light bulb. Now they're going to have to do it all over again. So they went back to work. 24 more hours to create a second light bulb. And when they got done, who would have been the last person that you would have given that light bulb to? That's right, Johnny Football from Texas A&M. But Edison turned to the same young man and he gave him the light bulb And he said, take it upstairs so they can test it. Now, why in the world would he have done that? It's because Edison believed everybody deserved a second chance. This morning, we're starting a new sermon series called Didn't See That Coming, Suddenly Surprised by God. And my lesson this morning is called Surprised by God's Second Chances. We're going to look at three people to whom God gave second chances. And we're going to look at the areas in their life in which they needed the second chances. And if you're anything like me, you're going to see yourself in there. The most amazing thing about about being a pastor and being a preacher, you get to preach to yourself. I get all my crying and whining and repenting over before I get up here. Now it's your turn. So number one, a place that we get a second chance is to redeem our past. 
redeem our past. And we're going to look at the, the story of a man named Samson, who, who the, the angel of the Lord came to his mom and dad and said, you're going to get pregnant and the baby that you're going to have, that baby is called to be a deliverer of Israel. So from the time that he was even in his mama's tummy, he already had a destiny and a purpose. And if you look at Samson when he first got started in being in the delivering business, he, he did some amazing things. The scripture would say that the, that the spirit of God would rush upon him and he would do these, these amazing things, these strong things. One time he took the, the, the jawbone of a donkey and he beat a thousand people to death with it. That's pretty rough. There was another time that it says that a lion came out and the spirit of God came on him and he tore that lion apart. It says like, like you would tear a young goat. Anybody in here ever torn a young goat? I don't really relate to that, so not exactly sure, but I'm just kind of guessing that tearing a young goat in half is a whole lot easier than tearing a lion in half. So he started out doing what God had put him on this planet to do. Great things in the name of the Lord. But then we see something happens and it changes the way that he is reacting. It changes the way that he is thinking. It changes his total outlook on things. He got married. The men aren't going to laugh at that. <laughs> anyway, I'm not falling for that. You not getting me trouble on Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> Samson got married. And at the, at the wedding feast, Samson had this riddle that he, he brought to the young men from the surrounding villages. And, and he said, hey, if you can come up with the answer to this riddle, I'll do this, this, and this. But he knew that they couldn't come up with it because it came from his own experience in, in life, had something to do with that lion. So he said, I'll give, you, I'll give you this much time. If you can come up with it, you know, I'll do this. And they, they couldn't answer it. So they went to his new bride, his new wife, and they said, you've got to find out the answer for us. So she goes, and she asks her husband to reveal the secret of his heart. And then she goes and she tells this secret to those young men. So when the time was up and Samson said, hey, do you have the answer to the riddle? They had it. And he knew immediately where they got it. See, Samson had been betrayed Betrayed by his wife. You ever been betrayed? It hurts. Samson, because he was an honorable man, went out and he fulfilled his part of the bet. He was a little huffy when he left. But then he came back after he had done what he said he would do. And he went to his father-in-law's house and said, hey, I've come to collect my wife. And his father-in-law says, well, you left out of here 
so angry, I didn't think you wanted her. So I gave her to one of your friends. So now, Samson has been betrayed by his wife. He's been betrayed by his father-in-law. He's been betrayed by a friend. Once again, have you ever been betrayed? You ever been betrayed by a spouse? Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody in the church? It hurts. And it can change our perspective of things. And Samson's perspective after this betrayal became skewed. He had been seeking a right relationship, a marriage relationship with a woman. But now, he's just going to have a relationship with a prostitute. You ever known anybody that's been hurt in relationships And they go from trying to do it honorably to just, who cares anymore? Who cares anymore? And he gets involved with the infamous Delilah, who does not care about him. Who knows what Samson was thinking? The Bible doesn't tell us. But it seems as if because of his hurt, because of his betrayal, because of the wounds that are now in his heart and in his life, he almost expects somebody to hurt him again. And he gets involved with Delilah and the enemy, the Philistines, they come to Delilah and said, hey, we'll pay you to find out the secret of his strength. So she starts asking three times. He told her some kind of crazy story, braid my hair in a certain way, tie me up a certain way. And three times she betrayed him. And we sit there and we look at that and we go, why would he be so foolish to keep going back? Because his perspective has been skewed, because he's been wounded, because he's been hurt. Now he has the expectation of people hurting him. And the fourth time she asks, he tells her the truth. Why in the world would he do that? He knows she's going to betray him. And the Bible doesn't say, but it seems as if he's even given up on God. It doesn't matter. Who cares anymore? And he tells her, if you cut my hair, I'll be like any other man. So he falls asleep. She cuts all of his hair off. And then she has the Philistines come in. And she says, Samson, wake up. Your enemy is... Here, he's upon you, and he jumps up, and he's going to fight just like he has the other three times. But one of the saddest scriptures in the entire Bible comes next. It says, he didn't even realize that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. You see, this is the plan of the enemy for our lives. He hates you. He wants you wounded. He wants you broken. He wants you hurt. He wants you in a place where you can trust nobody. He wants you to give up on God. 
He wants you to be in a place where you expect people to do you wrong. And then he wants you to move away from God. I'm not saying that it happened all at once, but over a period of time, Samson began moving away from God. And sometimes in our hurt, sometimes in our wounding, sometimes in our brokenness, we move away from God. And we try to blame it on him. Where'd you go, God? God didn't go anywhere. We've drifted. And it says that the enemy came in and they captured him and they put his eyes out. They blinded him. Your enemy wants you blinded. He wants you to think that the situation is so hopeless that you can't even see the way out of it. Why? Because he wants you in bondage. That's exactly what they did with Samson. They made a slave out of him. They hooked him up to something to grind out the grain. That's where the the animals belong. And that's what the enemy thinks of you. He thinks you're worthless. He thinks you're no good. He thinks you're not any better than the animals. He wants you blind. He wants you without hope. And then, all of the, the ruling party of the Philistines decide to get together and they're going to throw some kind of big celebration and they all came together in, in one building. And they say, hey, you remember that guy that used to torment us? You remember that guy that took a, the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand of us? You remember that guy that used to do destruction to us? Man, he's in bondage now. And they said, why don't we bring him in and make fun of him? That's another place that the enemy wants to get a hold of you. He just wants to mock you. He wants to say to you, you can't get out of this. You're not worthy of being out of this. You're no good. You'll never be anything besides what you are. The enemy wants to put a big exclamation mark at the end of everything he's trying to bring into your life. He wants it to say, broken, exclamation mark. Lost, exclamation mark. Wounded, exclamation mark. Betrayed, exclamation mark. But God just wants to put a comma. God wants to redeem your past. And as we pick up the story here in Judges chapter 16, verse 28, it says, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. Give me another chance. Give me a second chance. I can be that man that you called me to be. Give me a second chance to be what I used to be. Give me a second chance to do the things that you've called me to do. And they bring him in and foolishly put him between the two pillars that hold up the whole building. And he pulls it down, crashes down on all of the enemy and on him And the scripture says that he did more for the kingdom of God in his death. He destroyed more of the enemy in his death than he had ever done in his life. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to die. You don't have to wait till you're dead to get the second chance to redeem your story. Your story will set somebody free. 
Your past does not define you. It's something that happened to you, but it does not define you. God wants to take that and turn it into a story of victory. There was a man named Nicky Cruz. He's an evangelist. Happens to be Puerto Rican, and I was told by the Puerto Rican in the sound booth that I had to mention that in the second service. I got you, brother. Nicky Cruz said that his drug of choice was pain and violence because that's what he'd grown up in. That's all that he knew was pain and violence. His parents were so ruthlessly brutal to him. They would beat him and they would hit him so hard. He said they usually left him unconscious. And he took that, that pain and that violence that he had learned at home, and he took it into the streets of New York City, and he became the leader of one of the most infamous gangs of the time. And he said he wanted to do to people what his parents had done to him. He enjoyed hurting people. But he said he always felt empty. He always felt without. He was 19 years old and was very sure he wasn't going to make it to 20. But then he met a pastor. You know those pastors that just mess up all your plans to die early. He met a pastor named David Wilkerson who risked his life to go out and share the love of Jesus with the gangs of New York City. And Nikki absolutely hated him. He beat him up several times. He'd spit in his face when, when he would try to talk to him. And one time he took a knife and put it right up to David Wilkerson's throat. And he said, I'm going to cut you into little tiny pieces. And the way that Wilkerson responded to Nicky absolutely messed him up. He said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces and every piece will still say Jesus loves you. That so messed him up. He was used to people reacting to him the way that he reacted to people. He was not used to people reacting in love. He was used to people reacting violently to him. And this love, it so messed him up. He said he couldn't sleep for two weeks. He would lay in his bed at night and think about this love of God. So he finally went to one of Wilkerson's church meetings. And he said the story of the cross just absolutely grabbed him. The story of a man whose selfless and radical love would crawl up on a cross and die for a piece of trash like Nicky Cruz. He said, I couldn't get away from it. So I gave my life to Jesus. He met a young lady that got married and he and his wife ran a, a, a home for at-risk youth there in New York City. Since that time, he has preached all over the world, and the Lord has given him a second chance to redeem his past. He uses his story to tell people about how Jesus can change their lives. And the most exciting day of his whole ministry was the day he led his mom, his dad, and his brother to the Lord. Nicky redeemed his past. He redeemed his story. Who needs your story? Well, I've never been a gang member. Who cares? 
You've been something. You've lived this life. You've walked through things. Somebody needs your story. Somebody needs to hear how Jesus has changed you. And I always had, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I'd had kids say, well, I've been saved since I was five years old. I got saved in children's church. Well, if God has kept you from five years old to however old you are now and you didn't get caught up in all the mess that some of the rest of us did, that's a great testimony. And somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear your Jesus story. All right, number two. God gives us a second chance to reclaim our place. Our place, our place in the family of God. This story is about a, a, a Hebrew woman whose name is Gomer. And she was like the lowest of the low. She was an outcast. She wasn't worthy of being somebody's wife. She was just something to be used. And the Lord chooses to get involved in her story in Hosea 1, verse 2. It says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. What he's really saying is, you go marry a prostitute, you have kids with her, and it's going to be like a, a, a story of how God took the children of Israel out of the mess of slavery in Egypt and brought them into freedom in the promised land and how they had worshiped God for a while, but after a while, they just slid back into other things. You ever done any sliding? You ever just really got fired up about Jesus? I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna do this for Jesus. I'm gonna tell everybody about Jesus. And you meant it for at least 15 minutes, 15 days, however long it was. But then we just slide back. I don't know what was going through Gomer's mind. Sometimes it seems when we've lived in something for so long, when we've lived in hurt for so long, when we've lived in oppression for so long, it's easier to live in that than it is to live in grace. It becomes our identity. It becomes who we are. It becomes what we do. So here, Hosea went out and he, he brought Gomer into his house and it changed everything that she was. She was an outcast, now she's a wife. She was without purpose, now she's a mother. She was without anything and now she has a home. And she did well for a while, long enough to have three kids. But somewhere along the way, the enemy starts talking again. He starts lying again. He starts saying, well, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be blessed. You don't deserve to be called a child of God. You don't deserve to have, have a loving spouse. You don't deserve it. And just like Samson, she began to drift to the point where she left. But that's not the end of the story. Why? Because God's a God of second chances. In Hosea 3, we read 
Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back. I bought her back. Sometimes we find ourselves in such a mess that God's got to, got to pull us back out of that mess. God is more than willing. He's a God of second chances. He doesn't have to pay in his blood again, but he pays in effort over and over and over again. And I haven't said this yet. We're talking about second chances. But most of us sitting in here, and including the one standing in here, We've been on our second chances, our third chances, our fifth chances, our 50th chances, our 100 chances. God doesn't run out of chances. He never gets tired of pursuing you. It never comes to the place where he goes, well, they've just had too many times. I'm just going to give up on them. God never gives up on you. He relentlessly pursues you over and over and over and over. And he's willing to buy you back because he thinks you're worth more than just silver and wine. You're worth the death of Jesus. What we're celebrating this weekend, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's our invitation to a new place. It's our invitation to a new home. It's our invitation to a new family. It's an invitation to a new identity. But sometimes we need a second chance to recognize our place, our place in his family. And even if we run, he pursues us. Our heavenly father is looking to connect in a deeper way or reconnect in a new way with all of us. So let's not miss God's surprising second chance to reclaim our place. Now third, God gives us a second chance to restore our purpose. In this part, we're going to talk about Peter. Pastor Roger, in his Urkel jacket, (laughs) talked about Peter earlier. I love you, buddy. (laughs) He just said, preach it, white boy. For those of y'all that missed it in the back. (laughs) We're talking about Peter. Peter is one of my favorite New Testament people because I really identify with him. Peter had a great big mouth. I can identify. (laughs) I'm feeding you today, so you better be quiet. (laughs) Peter was always saying things when he should have been quiet. I can identify. Peter was always arguing with people about how he was going to be the best in the kingdom. I'm very fond of myself. So here's Peter, and he and Jesus are having a conversation the night before Jesus was crucified. And in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, And if you don't realize, Simon was Peter's real name. Peter was the nickname that Jesus gave to him, okay? 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, see, Jesus has already seen what's going to happen. He's, he's telling him, you're about to go through something. Satan's looking to destroy you. And I could look each and every one of you in the eye, and I don't have to be a prophet to say, see, Satan wants to destroy you. So Jesus is telling him, you're about to go through something. But when you go through it, repent. And we think repent means just feel sorry. Feel sorry. I feel real bad that I did that, Lord. But that's not what repent means. Repent literally means to change the way that you think about the subject and do opposite of what you have been doing. Go the other direction. So Jesus is saying, you're going to go through something, and when you see, when you're real, what's going on inside of you, your heart is really exposed to you, just repent. Think differently. Do differently. And when you repent... Turn back to me. I'm giving you a second chance. He's telling him before he ever got into it, I'm going to give you a second chance. Turn to me again. Strengthen your brothers. The Lord had purpose for him. Strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to, to go to jail with you. See, he hadn't got it yet. He hadn't figured it out yet. This is exactly what the Lord is trying to, to tell him. Hey, you've opened the door because of your attitude. You've opened the door because of pride. But Jesus hasn't seen it yet. I mean, uh, Peter hasn't seen it yet. So Jesus says these things to him, and he goes, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. And you know he's saying it loud enough that the other 11 can hear. I'll die with you, Jesus. I don't know about the rest of this rabble. I'll go with you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You know Peter's going, no, no way. That's not me, Jesus. You know I'm your main guy. I got your back. Well, let's see how he had his back. Down in verse 54, it says, So they arrested him, they arrested Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter, this man that would go to jail with him, this man that was willing to die with him, it says, he followed at a distance. I'm going to be back here, Jesus. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Was Jesus right? You know, sometimes Jesus says things to us, and we're going, no, no, not me, not me. No, that'll never happen. I'm going to let you in on, on one little secret. Jesus is always right. Okay? Jesus is always right. So Peter denied him. Woman, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, no, I am not, Peter retorted. 
About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. And Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, that must have sucked. We have all messed up. But I've never had Jesus just look at me and go, "Mm -hmm, I told you you was going to screw it up. Here's Peter. Jesus had already prophesied, had already told him what was going to happen. And Jesus was right there when it happened. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And we look at Peter and you go, Peter, you big loser. What's wrong with you? You walked with Jesus. You lived with Jesus. And there you are denying Jesus. But if we will be absolutely honest, we have all denied Jesus. Some way, somehow, some fashion, we've denied Jesus. When we refuse to forgive, we're denying Jesus. When we refuse the plans and the purposes that Jesus has for us because we have plans and purposes. See, we like to get our plans and purposes and go, hey, Jesus, just just bless this. Make me happy here. When we don't follow after him, we are denying him. When we are not living according to the identity that he has given us, we are denying him. When we are still living according to the old person that we used to be, we are denying him. When we have the attitude, well, this is just who I am, you just better get over it. We're denying him. And if the story ended there, that would be really bad, wouldn't it? But it doesn't because we serve a God of second chances. The last conversation that Peter had with Jesus, Peter had sworn to die with him if necessary. The last time Jesus directly looked Peter in the eyes, as far as we know, Peter was denying that he even knew him. But he's a God of second chances. And we see it all come all the way back around in John chapter 21. Verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Does he? He just denied him. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you and take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked the question, do, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked him the question a third time. Peter was hurt. Jesus had just heard him deny him three times, but he's hurt because Jesus is calling him on it. Yeah, and he says, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. And then he says, well, then feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was giving Peter an opportunity to refute all three of those denials that he had just made. And Jesus didn't go, hey, remember when you denied me? Well, you better say you don't. Because the enemy will come along and go, hey, you remember when you denied Jesus? 
You remember that opportunity that you had to speak up and you didn't do it? You remember how you blew it so bad? That's the enemy. When what Jesus was doing was absolutely canceling out what had happened before. He asked him three times because he had denied him three times. And every time he had the opportunity to reaffirm his love to Jesus, it was canceling out that moment when he had denied him. Jesus was no longer going to remember it. And not only was he giving him an opportunity to, to uh, take back what he said, to refute what he said, Jesus was, re- Jesus was reminding him that he had kingdom purpose. It wasn't just, take it back, say that you love me. Each opportunity, yes, Jesus, I love you. Good, because I've got something for you to do. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then love my sheep. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then do what I've put you on this planet to do. You see, failure does not disqualify us if we allow the Lord to restore our purpose. And I'll end with this story. There was a homemaker, and she was absolutely convinced that she was failing at being a, a mom and a wife. And she took a shoebox, and she wrote on it, Mom's Mess Ups. And she put it in the kitchen, and she asked her husband, every time you see me, Mess something up. I want you to write it down and put it in the box. And we'll do it for a month. And at the end of the month, I'm going to go and I'm going to read every time that I messed up. And I'm going to try to be a better mom. I'm going to try to be a better wife. I'm going to try to be a better person. And her husband agreed. Wasn't too long until... The husband realized he didn't have any clean socks to wear to, to work one morning. So he wrote something and he put it in the box. And I know all you women are saying, he need to do his own laundry. He came home one night and she had burnt dinner. And she saw him writing something and putting it in the box. One morning, the kids couldn't find their homework. And it took them so long to find their homework that they were all late to school. And although her husband wasn't there to see it, she knew he would find out about it and he'd put that in the box. In fact, she saw that at least twice a day and sometimes three times a day, he was writing something and putting it in the box and she wasn't even aware how she had messed up. She, she was thinking, it must be so much worse than I even think. At the end of the month, the husband took the kids, and they went out to the park, and mom went and got the box. And she went to her bedroom, and she sat down. There was already fear in her heart. There was already a tear starting to form in her eye. And she flipped the lid off the box, And she began to pull out the notes. And there must have been at least 75 notes in there. And she was just thinking, I'm worthless. I am so messed up. 
And she read the first one. Then she read the second one. Then she dumped them all out and she quickly read all the rest of them. And by this time, tears are just pouring down her cheeks. Because every one of them said the exact same thing. They said, I love you and nothing is going to mess that up. You've not gone too far that God can't redeem you. You've not gone too far that God can't reclaim you. You've not messed up so bad that he stopped loving you. There is nothing you can do to mess that up. He loves you. And he wants to restore you, forgive you, and give you a second chance. What do I want you to know this morning? Our God eagerly gives second chances. Chances to redeem our past, reclaim our place, and restore our purpose. And he's waiting with open arms for us to come to him. What do I want you to do? Let's be honest and let's recognize where we've denied Jesus, his rightful place in our life. Let's repent. Let's think differently and let's do opposite of what we've been doing. And then let's realize that our past is in the past. And the only thing that you need to be hanging on to is your story so you can encourage somebody else. You pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful day. As the song says, what a wonderful day, what a wonderful way that he has saved me. This day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to celebrate it by a deeper and a real connection with you, more alive than it's ever been before. Lord, we don't want to, to, to just be satisfied with partial Jesus. Lord, we want you just to saturate us in your love and in your presence. And Lord, these areas in our lives where we've been wounded, where we've been hurt, Lord, where we've been blinded, where we've run away from you, thank you for second chances. Lord, this morning we're taking you up on those second chances. And Lord, thank you so much that even when I do mess up, Lord, that it does not disqualify me from the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name.